You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Salam dear listeners. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, welcoming you to another interesting episode on She Talks Peace. And here's my co-host, Hi everybody, I'm Ayesa and I'm based here at Kota Kinabalu, Saba. Ayesa, you remember our discussion a couple of episodes ago with Dr. Arifa Rahmawati about female combatants in Aceh? Yes, certainly. That was a lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah, but uh, tragic, the stories that uh, she shared with us that the women combatants have not received the support they desperately need even to survive you know they there some of them are actually begging with their children in the streets that's so different from the experience of our female combatants in Muslim Mindanao those who belong to the Moro National Liberation Front and the Moro Islamic Liberation Front Why do you think our Bangsamoro women seem to have had a more positive experience? Uh, the situation of um, female combatants, you know, having them marginalized you know, uh, after post-contact do- development is actually not something that is new. You know, it continues to happen, you know, in many places of conflict-affected areas. So I, I wasn't surprised at all, you know, with the case of Aceh. Uh, but then it's really good that somebody like Dr. Arifa focused, you know, on actual uh, empirical study. And then she really came up with very good findings, you know, which I could relate a lot on, in the case of the Bangsamoro peace process. While it is true that by and large, you know, um, the situation of female combatants with a more Islamic liberation front and maybe the more national liberation, liberation front has improved. You know, uh, but then to me, it's still a work in progress, actually. So that's how I look at it. So in fact, that's why I was uh, telling Dr. Arifa, we should really continue that kind of research, you know, for more people, uh, especially the international community and policymakers to really understand how this kind of 
marginalization of um, the interest of female combatants continue to be a, an important issue. Yeah, I really think that um, in spite of uh, uh, the UN having passed the Security Resolution 1325 supporting uh, women uh, peace builders, there's still a lot uh, that uh, has to be done no? in the in the areas of conflict to really bring out the situation of uh, of these women. But you know, Ayesa, um, you weren't born yet <laughs> at the at the start of martial law, and I remember growing up. I was in, a martial um, baby. I was a martial baby. Oh, no. I was oh really? <laughs> But uh, but you were sheltered because you were a baby. But at that time in Holo, oh, this was before martial law. This was when um, uh, then President uh, Ferdinand Marcos was in his second term already, and uh, it looked like he was going to declare martial law. And um, the young intellectuals in my hometown in Holo Silu started. Uh, organizing, they would have uh, focus group discussions of their own to talk about the dangers we were facing, the oncoming threat. And of course, Nur Miswari, who was at the time an instructor at the University of the Philippines, was a uh, key uh, intellectual voice. And um, many of my cousins and relatives actually supported him uh, one of them, um, Demona, was one of the leading intellectuals in uh, in our hometown. And I remember Marcos called for uh, an election of uh, uh, like a constitutional uh, commission. And Miswari, Nur Miswari, um, was pressed, you know, pressed upon to run. And all of us were campaigning for him. Would you believe? I think we were we were in high school and uh, we were campaigning for Nurmiswari. But uh, largely, it wasn't so much because of Miswari, but it was really because of Desdemona, who was among among us young uh, cousins, somebody that we look forward to. But I mentioned Desdemona because she and her sister. Um, Ruaida and so many other um, young Muslim women intellectuals, we are at the core, actually, of the movement. But you don't really hear too much about them. I actually did a Google search, you know, on uh, on this Demona, and there isn't much. There isn't much. So I agree with you. We really have to do more research uh, about what women have contributed, right, Ayesa? So that's another research project that we should be doing, Amina. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and speaking of research projects, I did, um, you know, a short research project, and we call this revolutionary piece. You know, mainly interviewing and collecting audio, um, audio interviews of former MNLF, MILF, and even uh, Grakan Achimardeka and some 
Southern Thailand revolutionary movement leaders, you know, and I was able to interview a few of the female leaders, you know, mostly from um, the MILF and, and uh, from Aceh. But then my challenge was really to get hold of MNLF <laughs> women leaders. And I have heard already about the names Desdemona and Ruaida. So I'm really looking forward, you know, how I can find more data about them because uh, in my initial findings, definitely it was clear that in the revolutionary movement, a lot of the women were involved in the logistics, um, perhaps in the organization, the management itself, the organization, and to some extent in terms of the uh, policy making, you know, in terms of the, intell- as you said, intellectual discussions. But unfortunately, that has not been fully established in the history of MNLF, MILF, and many other revolutionary. So certainly there's a lot of opportunity for us to, to collect this data. And of course, if we have this, then the more that we will you know, bring to the youth more inspiration that it is possible for women to be part of the women peace security agenda in many ways, not only in terms of government, but even you know, we history tells us that even in the revolutionary groups, maybe in some countries they look at it as something negative. But to our, uh, in our experience, the revolutionary groups is actually what brought us to where we are today, with, with us, with the Bangsamora people achieving our freedoms. So it is a good thing for our younger generation to learn about the women. Yeah, absolutely right. And one must not forget that when the movement. Uh, started we weren't really looking at uh, a militaristic movement or warfare it was for equal rights that as bangsamoro as tausug since we were already part of the philippine republic that we had to have the the rights of uh, of citizens and had the right to be heard of course exactly yeah it was and it was a very social well that, didn't, that didn't happen. You know, instead, uh, when martial law came, our our communities were hamletized, right? You know, uh, throw back to uh, the Vietnam years when uh, the American military actually would keep the Vietnamese in hamlets and they couldn't get out. So that was also happening um, where we were. But, you know, this is an excellent um, point in our conversation to introduce our guest who can probably shed a lot of light on the topic that we're discussing today. And she's none other than Hadjanur Aini Miswari Lim. And guess what? Last week, I think, she was inducted as a Sharia counselor. Oh, so additional, you know, more qualified women as Sharia counselors. Nuraini has a master's in development management from the Asian Institute of Management, our alma mater, Ayesa. And she graduated. (laughs) Yeah, she graduated top of her class and was a dean's lister. She also has a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from the American University of Sharjah in the Emirates and a Bachelor of Arts in Islamic Studies from Preston University also in uh, the Emirates. She is the president now of Al-Husna Foundation, Inc. in Zamboanga City. 
and uh, she's the head of the Secretariat of the Moro National Liberation Front's Peace Coordinating Committee. Ayesa, one could actually say that uh, Nur Aini grew up with the MNLF because her That's father right. is MNLF Chair Nur Miswari, whom we yes. call Maas or Elder in Desdemona Tan. Um, as I mentioned, she was one of the courageous intellectuals of Sulu when, when I was much, much, much younger. So welcome, Nuraini. Welcome to She Talks Peace. Hello, Pa. Thank you for the warm welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Welcome, Nuraini. And congratulations for... Uh, being inducted as a Sharia counselor. Now you can educate more and more for women on their rights under Islam, yeah? Inshallah. That's what I aim to do, hopefully, in the next few months and years to come. If you don't mind, Amina, the first question that everybody else would be interested to ask Noraini should be, how was it growing up with a famous father and a famous mother and very well-respected, and then who has, you know, helped build the social movement and the revolutionary movement in, in the Philippines. How was it, Noraini? Is it something that you can tell us in terms of your, uh, some personal, uh, uh, personal experience? Sure. Um, the thing is, um, when I was two years old, that's when my mother passed away. So from Pakistan, I was taken by my maternal aunt, her sister, her younger sister, and I grew up with them. However, I knew that I was the, the daughter of um, Chairman Nurmiswari. I, I think I was about seven years old at that time. So when I knew that, you know, my adoptive family wasn't my biological family, that was when I was more curious about who my real father was and who my mother was. So as I grew up in a fairly civilian life, I, you know, I had this family who became my comfort, who, who was able to show me how a regular person grew up. And I was able to see the, my, my world from the lens of not as necessarily the daughter of revolutionary leaders, but how a normal child or a teenager would grow up. So it actually helped shape me for my role in the later years to come, when I was to be activated in the uh, MNLF um, group, because I get to bring, uh, you know, some sort of balance, uh, some sort of, um, I could bridge between, you know, both worlds where we want the ideal and what was re the reality on the ground. So when I had to to be more active in the organization, it was because of uh, my father. Uh, just when I was about to graduate in 2017, he sat me down. It was a private conversation. I would like to think between a father and a daughter. And he said, you know, it's about time that you play your role in the organization. And I was like, you know, I was hesitant. I was telling him, you know, I, I haven't really been exposed in the MNLF. Um, you know, I have my own way of thinking about things. And he said, you know, I need someone I can trust. I don't want to be betrayed again. 
So it was, I couldn't anymore say no at that point. So when I heard my father's vision, you know, consistently from day one until now, I, I can't help but feel a sense of, you know, gratefulness that I am the daughter of uh, German Nurmiswari and my late mother, Desdemonat Abu Bakartan. I am grateful for the family and the extended family like Auntie Amina, who when I introduced myself as my mother's daughter, immediately, you know, you could see the smile and that sense of maternal protectiveness uh, when we met at AIM. So uh, in a nutshell, I would have to say that the sense of duty and responsibility, more than it being a burden, we look at it as an obligation that we are happy to continue because we owe it to the martyrs of this cause. We owe it to the women leaders. We owe it to the orphans, the widows of this cause who just wanted a better life, who just wanted a better world to live in and for the next generation to inherit. So I, I guess that's what makes being a daughter of both Nurmiswari and Desdemonatan more than it being a, a burden or a negative or a heavy challenge. We, we take it as a positive opportunity to serve our people and hopefully to continue what they have started. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that um, you told us a little bit about uh, growing up and how you got uh, connected to, to the cause. Because Noraini, I can't help but feel that the influence of uh, the strong women in your life, including Kak uh, Ruaida, Kak Roy, who's the elder sister of, uh, of Des, that they influenced you in uh, how a woman, a Muslim woman, could actually contribute to pushing the agenda of, of the social movement. And this may have impacted on your own uh, perspectives, because I know that you've given talks about uh, the leadership of women and uh, using your Islamic lens. So tell us, um, tell us, uh, Nuraini, what do you think? Because now, um, very fundamentalist uh, opinions have crept into our community saying that women cannot be leaders. So, so what do you say, uh, Nuraini, about the leadership of, of women at the community level in social movements in the in the MNLF? I would have to say that it's crucial and in it's it's crucial at the very core. And this is straight from the lips of Chairman Nurmiswari himself. When he when he asked me to or, reorganize the women of the MNLF, he told me, you know, it was the women who formed the core of the organization because they could move around freely. They had that passion, that spirit, that nurturing spirit that could, that could move communities. And they have that charisma, you know, and that influence in the community. So he was talking about, uh, and, uh, Ina Roy, uh, Roy that, uh, that you know, and Ina, uh, my mother, and also some of the women uh, leaders and combatants at that time. And, and he always said, you know, more than just, you know, being the captains of the kitchen and the nurturers of the children, 
women were at the forefront of the political shaping of the MNLF. They were given the opportunity to talk directly with, the, for example, my mother used to converse with the, the late President Cory Aquino herself. And he told me that at the beginning of the movement, the women were the ones who were able to organize masses. The mass movements were actually, uh, and the community organizing were actually left for the women because the men had to bear the arms, had to protect themselves, and also had to be discreet. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So in terms of Islamic leadership, there is no barrier for, for leadership in Islam. SubhanAllah, um, we can see in the history of, of Islam, our, our women, our scholars, Aisha radiallahu anha, memorized the Quran and over 2,000 narrations from the Prophet sallallahu She had a stellar memory and she wasn't punished for it. Rather, she was celebrated for it. We also had women warriors such as Khawla bin Azwa. He, she used to ride in battle and our first martyr was even a woman, Sumaya. So, there, there is that gap that we had to fill right now, especially in our context in the Philippines, where, alhamdulillah, if you look at it, we are foremost in gender equality. There is just a gap where Muslim women have to be more represented. Alhamdulillah, we have someone like Madam Amina at the forefront of it all. As women, you know, the, the younger uh, generations look up to, to our senior leaders. So we have a lot to learn. We are, we should also be open to advice and we have to, to accept the experiences of, of our elders to shape the, the kind of women leaders we are. Um, last, uh, point I, I want to make is Islam itself honors women. Islam does not limit our participation to just a select few titles as, for example, wife or a daughter. We are given general guidelines by which we are able to craft our own destiny by it. As long as we don't go over the limits which are there to protect us and to protect our honor, we are free to, to create our own legacy. So I hope, I hope we will be able to be uh, we will be able to represent Islam in its original form uh, where women are honored and opportunities such as these engagements and conversations are one of them. Wow, yes. Uh, did you know that about Ma'as? About how pro-women uh, uh, that he really was? I, I actually didn't know that, Noraini. I knew that he was influenced by 
by your mother and and Karoida, but I didn't realize that how, how supportive he he actually was. But Ayesa, um, that sort of uh, explains why by noon Karon had a a leadership role in in the MNLF, right? Yes, yes. Another uh, female MNLF leader. But I wanted to uh, make a follow-up question with Nuraini because you mentioned already about limitations among Muslim women. Because I'm sure for non-Muslims who are listening and watching our podcast, you know, they have all these questions in their minds. So what are those limitations you know, f- for you? Uh, for example, uh, there are some laws by which we are given you know, a protection from uh, you know like fitna or rumors of uh, uh, where where the society might put at put us at risk uh, there are some limitations in terms of for example ideally if we were to move around you know we would have you know our companions we would have our uh, so that we don't get harassed on the way or those are some of the provisions that are set in the sharia at the same time, in terms of perhaps role in society, there isn't much limitations in terms of leadership. For example, a woman can be a governor, a woman can be a mayor. However, there is a narration from the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, about a woman possibly not being the head of a state. So, for example, presidency. And however... The thing about Islam is you are able to look at canonical laws and see where the society is at and where there might be uh, flexibility or leniency in such cases. For example, if out of all the candidates for presidency, you know, the, the best possible candidate might be a woman, then perhaps, you know, with proper shura and proper um consultation that might be what is best for the society so there will always be that leeway where what is best for society would supersede any other um, provisions so another limitation perhaps would be you know we are very careful about the concept of modesty you know there are just some not just cultural norms that we have to take into consideration, but like staying, for example, somewhere and just a woman and a man without any supervision, without any companionship. It's it's just to protect your reputation and name from, you know, negative connotations or opinions from people. So I think this is something that if you are in the public eye, especially we are very concerned about our name, about our reputation, because we are not just carrying our individual name, but the people who believe in us, the society that we represent. So we are very much careful about um, what we do that might hinder and that might derail the integrity of our name. So uh, with that, um, I think uh, in a nutshell, the limitations are actually there to actually protect rather than uh, hinder us from success. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And we all very well know some of these limitations that are intended to protect are these days being interpreted as a ban. 
for women's uh, activism, which is really crazy in, in many ways because when when you look at our Islamic law, it's already established and there are, there are regulations about interpretation of Islamic law that you, it's not just based on, on the Quran alone or the Hadith, but it is also dependent on the circumstance. That's why the interpretation of a, of a law in Egypt um, is different from the interpretation of a law in China because the circumstances are different. And yet today, we're, we're really seeing these this, uh, extreme interpretations that just look at the Quran and they just uh, accept the literal uh, meaning of, um, of certain uh, protections afforded to women. But I wanted to ask you, uh, Nuraini, the peace agreement, with the MNLF was signed in 1996 between uh, the government and uh, and your father, uh, Chairman Noor. In those decades, how far has the women's uh, leadership evolved within the MNLF? I know that Kat Roy started organizing a women's cooperative because it was very clear that economic independence was critical for for women uh, to sur- not just to survive but for women's leadership. How far has it gone? Um, the thing is, we have to underscore the lifeline of the women's committee is very much tied to the lifeline of the MNLF as an organization. So the moment we had some political setbacks, also the women's committee and uh, participation and influence in the communities were was also affected. So. During the past, especially the past 10 to 15 years, and the, you know, uh, Madame Roy had some challenges as well when it came to the women's um, leadership because there was a change in leadership as well within the organization with the forming of the executive council. So that caused confusion on the ground and some, you know, cooperated with the newly formed council, some stayed uh, loyal to Madame Roy. So that somehow delayed the growth of the women. It got cut short. And that's why uh, the first agenda uh, Ma'as had for me when, uh, you know, things politically between uh, government and MNLF became a bit normalized during the past seven years was to give the women's committee uh, another chance. So through the guidance of uh, Ina Roy, uh, we have started reorganizing the women so that we can somehow continue what they started. It's it's such a waste if it gets um, you know sidelined, and it was interesting how Maas made it again his priority agenda to reorganize the women as he did in the seventies. So it's like history repeating itself but with the next generation in mind. So I hope... Nuraini, uh, forgive me for butting in. Maybe realize that women are more reliable? <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> because even when he talked to me, uh, the common theme he, he underscored was really trust. I do not want to be betrayed again. So it means he needed someone he could 
trust. And the moment he, he, he asked me, the first agenda was women and development. I'd like also to, to share a little bit about the MILF women. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, I have done some interviews, like particularly the wife of uh, Chairman, uh, MILF Chair, Ibrahim uh, uh, Murad. So, and, and uh, also the, the chair of the BWAB or the Bangsamoro Women's Group inside the MILF, uh, Jamila Hussein, uh, who happens to be my, uh, my, great grandmother so in in those interviews they've actually mentioned some stories of the early years of the mnlf when all of them were part of the mnlf women so i wonder if you know in your recent interactions with the older mnlf women you know do they also continue to nurture this relationship with the milf women or especially even with the second generation or the daughters of all the mnlf women. Have you heard about this interaction, uh, Noraini? Uh, I, what I can say is, based on what I've heard, our women, our senior leaders are very much in touch with all women leaders, regardless of which organization they are aligned with. Uh, needless to say, we are also very much open to work with everyone. Um, we don't look at labels when we're talking about people on the ground who are hungry, who need education, who need health. We need to go past titles and labels when we're actually here to serve. So uh, so with the senior leaders, I know that they do attend symposiums, symposia where they are all invited together. They, they build peace in communities um, uh, together. However, it hasn't been formal since there has not yet been a normalization in terms of unification of both fronts, which we are right now um, also trying our best to uh, craft. So hopefully we will hear more about unification efforts in the next few months or years. But I do know that, you know, the friendship and the relationships that were uh, formed during that most crucial time in the 70s, it's not easily broken. So I can speak for Ina Roy, for example. Uh, she is in touch with everyone, you know, Auntie Bainon, um, uh, from, from even with some MILF leaders. And even when I had a federalism forum back in 2017, okay, this is very interesting and touching, uh, Dr. Ayesa. You know, the MILF women leaders still love Madam Roy. So when they knew that Madam Roy would be there, they filled the hall to, to show their support. So, you know, there's this mutual respect amongst women because we cannot afford to be divided amongst ourselves because we have to strengthen each other. And hopefully uh, we will uh, be more public and open uh, during the next few months and years to come. By the way, uh, Nuraini, uh, government and uh, UN organizations have been very supportive of the um, organizing and em empowerment of uh, our MNLF and MILF uh, female combatants. And you have been part of uh, strategy formulation for uh, the MLF uh, women. Can, can you tell us a little bit about how 
what are the missions that the MNLFMN see for themselves now that there's a 1996 peace agreement, now that there's a Pangsamoro autonomous region for Muslim Mindanao, and, and uh, in particular, I mean, is there a plan to have a women's political party? Sama kami ni Ayesa. <laughs> Inshallah. Um, in, uh, just to, to give a brief overview, uh, we have been working with UN Women and the Office of the President a presidential advisor in the peace process for the past three years. And one of the most uh, important uh, programs was the MNLF Women's Project, where we had to start uh, to formulate our strategies, our mission and vision. So what we did was we came up with a vision and mission that would align with uh, domestic and international organizations, wherein our objective would really just be to build peace, and sustainable development in communities. We kept it short and simple, but with a very heavy impact, inshallah. And in terms of mission, we wanted our women to infiltrate <laughs> all the levels of society so that their talents and their um, their efforts would be maximized. So we, we hoped to, to enter them into politics, into community service, into security, peace, development, uh, both uh, national, local, and uh, regional. As, as about a wom- women's political party, it might be included in the political party of the MNLF that is soon to be formed. It, it has now started with the uh, entrance of our seven MNLF uh, members of the parliament. And it's very interesting to note that out of the seven, two are women, one senior and one junior. And we tried as much as possible to make the selection as diverse, although it's very few, just seven, but you know, we always know it's all about quality. And hopefully, inshallah, we look at the 73 other members as potential allies. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm excited to hear from you, Noraini, about all this uh, mission, new mission. It seems like the women are really going uh, going forth for this social movement agenda. They seem to be better organized. <laughs> so uh, I wish you all the best, Noraini, in this social women uh, movement. Thank movement. you. But then again, you mentioned about the women being part of the main MNLF political party. Have you not thought about well, it is true that you can be part of the bigger, you know, super superstructure of MNLF. But have you thought about how independent will be the women's wing? You know, because it reminds me of the situation, the political party system here in Malaysia. Like all the political parties here, including UMNO, they, they have their own development of a women's wing in as much as they have a youth wing. So uh, is that also part of your discussion? 
I, I believe so because uh, the first thing that uh, Maas asked us to do as women was make sure all the women are registered voters. That was number one. You know, he said, make sure they're identified and make sure they are voters. And the fact that he wanted to revive the National Women's Committee, it means he wants an avenue where women can work for women and not subsumed in this huge organization where their voices might get lost. So if, if you were to look at the direction setting from Maas and then also now from the strategic point of view that we have done for the past three years, the women are really looked at as an independence force to be reckoned with and who would actually strengthen and magnify the efforts of the MNLF organization as a whole. So I am very, very much excited, especially out of seven members, we made sure two are already women. And, you know, uh, if you were to look at the BARM uh, composition right now, we only have 16 MPs out of 80. So even if we only had seven, we made sure at least two and not just one would be women. So that is just a symbolism of what's to come. The plans of the MNLF, uh, reorganization and re-engagement in the political landscape. To you, Noraini, is it important to reach that 30% quota, you know, in terms of political participation among women? Is that something that is a priority for you or, you know, uh, or do you have any more ideas how to strengthen women's participation in politics? Well, if you are talking about lawmaking, women's voices need to be heard and no one can pass a law for women more credible than a woman. Agree. Because at the end of the day, you have to make law work for the people. You cannot just pass laws without consulting uh, the ones who will be most affected by them. So I would push for not just even 30% because, you know, women have so much to offer. And it, it, it's, it's really a loss for a nation if the women's voices are silenced. Yes, uh, how about you and you and me volunteering to be campaign managers for Nuraini? <laughs> no. um, per personally, I I'm with my role now. Um, uh, ju just so in case you're curious, what 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 am what am I doing now that we have seven MPs politically? The, Alhamdulillah, I'm I'm somehow um, akin to a consultant for all seven. And uh, I'm also part of their strategy, pl uh, strategic planning, and what bills to prioritize. I also give my my inputs as well. So you are the woman behind the scenes. <laughs> Actually, that's what my in the shadows. He <laughs> said to form a team behind the shadows to help our empathy. And that sometimes that's the more influential group, right? <laughs> But with um, uh, Nuraini, Nur so the MNLF women right now, you have the old guard who were there during the fighting, and you have the second generation who have lived in times of relative peace. And this is what I find interesting. The old guard, they uh, became leaders in the movement at the time when 
there was really no discrimination, no discussion about women's leadership in, in Islam. The second generation, the younger generation, are now assuming roles of leadership at a time when very conservative elements are saying, you can't be a leader if there's a, a, a man around. I mean, if, and if look at Afghanistan. I mean, they've stopped uh, uh, high school education, for instance, for, for girls. What's the second generation MNLF like, Naraini? Are they uh, activists just like their forebears? I'll be honest with you, um, Madam Amina. Maas is a women's rights activist. The first thing he told us as his daughters, make sure you study, educate yourself. He never made any barriers for us to gain. He even said, you know, um, as much knowledge as you can get, Arabic, English, get it. Because you owe an obligation to your people to serve them. You have to come back. Even if you go out to get your degree, you have to come back. Always have that in your mind to always come back and share what you have learned. So the next generation of, of women leaders, um, as far as Islamic influence is concerned, my two older brothers being alims themselves, never have they put any limit as to our participation. If anything, they want us to be as involved as possible. Um, Maas also wants the women to be educated, to be trained, to, to play their role as educators of the next generation, as the first madrasa of their children, and as the movers and shakers in the community. So this new generation, I, w I would say they are enthusiastic, they are active and the most powerful weapon they have is they have now access to knowledge and training that the previous generations might not have as much of. So if you noticed the profile of the women who were so influential in the 70s, like my mother and Madame Roy, they were both educated in the University of the Philippines. So in our, in our culture, education is very important. So in this new generation, I believe that that uh, criteria for a leader to be knowledgeable, to know how to lead, to be trained, how to be empathetic, to know how to analyze, to have critical thinking skills. And, and this uh, new world order where, you know, it's branded as do no evil, where everything has to be transparent. You cannot anymore have an inauthentic version of yourself because, you know, with social media and cameras so easily accessible. You have to really be authentic and the people can already see who is true and who isn't. So I believe that with just proper training, the next generation will, with the guidance and wisdom of our elders and that humility and that gratefulness and respect for our history, that might be the perfect formula to be qualified to say that we can move forward and bring the history with us and not forget it. You know, the identity, Dr. Ayesa, the identity of a Muslim moral woman shaped by the strong women leaders, that is something that would be potent in the economic recovery of this nation and hopefully to make it yet another powerful nation in the years to come.
So I'm not limiting our women leaders this region or the farm or Mindanao. No, our Muslim women leaders can make a dent in the whole nation. They can actually protect and preserve the peace and security agenda of this nation. That, that really does it, uh, Nuraini. I'm starting an organization, Nuraini for Senator Movement. You're going to be the second Muslim woman senator of this republic. Ayesa, are you volunteering already, Ayesa? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> with two, both hands with both hands. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up, Nuraini, uh, about the role that we must play, not just in our own communities, but in the larger uh, community as well. Because whatever it is that we can accomplish in our small villages uh, will not come to much if outside the national political environment is negative towards uh, whatever whatever equality, uh, whatever um, uh, autonomy it is that uh, we want to attain for our people. That also has been your experience, right, Ayesa? Well, I'm already stepping outside the country. I'm in another country. <laughs> and more, uh, you know, and, and beyond is uh, I, the, the kind of work I do is actually throughout ASEAN region. So, so yeah, in a way, I'm, I'm very proud that uh, being a Bangsamoro, I'm able to contribute, you know, to ASEAN in, in many ways, you know, especially in education, in higher education. So, but then, even though I'm I'm not often in the Philippines or in Barm, you know, I make sure that I bring uh, and share, you know, all the good uh, learnings, you know, and whether uh, the failures, it includes the failures and successes that we have had, you know, uh, as part of our journey to peace in the Bangsamoro. So that is something I'm always happy to share with our ASEAN brothers and sisters. Well, it looks like we're running out of time again, Ayesa. We, we need to have a part two. Uh, uh, an episode yeah. with, uh, with Nuraini. But before we go, Nuraini... We have, you know, when women talk to each other, Amina, and then there's we have this young lady here, Nuraini, who is really, you know, uh, she reminds us of, she should remind us of how we were Years ago, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's why I'm, I'm telling you, Nuraini for Senator Movement. What can I say? So, what we can do for you, Nuraini, is we will be behind you. You know, we've been there, we've been that, but we will definitely help you out. You know, when wherever you want to go, when, when the time comes. But, yes. uh, but but before we do that, uh, Nuraini, perhaps you would like to. Uh, extend a message, give a message to our listeners. Uh, we have got listeners in, in some 40, 40 countries. Most of them are, of course, in the Philippines. And perhaps you'd like to give a, a message to all of the young women out there who doubt their leadership potentials and also to the young men who need to be more supportive of uh, women's leadership. So your message, Nuraini. My message to Hello, women leaders, and trust in yourself. There is so much potential in you. You know, when we looked at the, the mission statement, we said we want to empower women to build peace, sustainable development in their communities. But we defined empowerment not to get power from outside, but from within. 
you just, we all need the push, we need the training, we need the technical know-how, we need the inspiration and the motivation. However, there is that power within us that we just have to nurture and harness. And if we use it for good, if we use it to and pass it forward to help others and to uplift them, then you would have that sense of accomplishment deep within you where you will actually be content and happy that you have a life that is worth, uh, that is meaningful. So serving others, it could lead to, you know, sometimes doubt, confusion, and sometimes we burn out. So always have that good support system. You have that relationship with, with God. You have that reflection, that me time that you can actually reflect and see. I am at a crossroads. What decision will actually um, push me forward with my uh, life's agenda? So talk about what you are passionate about. Your voice is such a beautiful and powerful source of inspiration to others. It can even change lives. And if you think about it, I will end with this narration from the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. He said, if you see an evil being co committed, you have three options. The first and the best option is to change it with your hand. Meaning if you have the authority, if you have the influence, then change it. Second is you speak about it. That is also power to change what is undesirable and change it to something desirable. And at the end, if you do not have the ability to, to do the first two, then the third is dislike it in your heart. Meaning we should never accept what is unacceptable in the eyes of those who are oppressed and those who have been, who have, who have their rights taken away. We should always have that sense of empathy, even if we are in a, in a better situation than them, but we should never accept that it is okay. So remain resilient. Always know what principles you hold. Don't lose sight of the identity that you have and always be grateful. There are so many people around you whom you can learn from. Always have that humility to, to know that you don't know everything. So inshallah, with all these um, tools, technical, spiritual, and also your character as a leader, inshallah, you don't even have to, to do anything except just be yourself because respect is earned. Thank you so much for that inspiring message, Nuraini. I'm sure uh, that Roy, wherever she is, is beaming with, with pride over the message that uh, you have given, which surely will inspire our young women from, uh, from all over. So what can you say about that, Ayesa? Well, I'm, I'm also inspired today. Thank you for that, Rani. You know, you know how it is. I mean, uh, from time to time we get jaded, right? But then when we listen to somebody like Noraini, again, we get re-energized. <laughs> so thank you so much, Noraini, for uh, joining us today. Uh, may I also? Um, I, I forgot to give a message to our men folk, if you don't mind, madam. Absolutely important. Go, go ahead. For our brothers, uncles, 
and leaders who are men. Help our women achieve their full potential. Do not be their glass ceiling where you limit what are their dreams, where they want to fly. Be the enabler because a woman empowered, a woman given the opportunity is a woman who will be the greatest ally of this society. They are not your competition, nor are they a threat. They are the treasures and jewels of society by which you are given the obligation to nurture and to protect and to maintain. So we have to respect each other's roles and we have to cooperate for righteousness. And this is in the Quran, wherein we are asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَتَعَوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى You cooperate, men and women, you cooperate for righteousness and do good. And hopefully, inshallah, together, as men, as women, as families of society which build the pillars of, of any civilization, we will soar higher if we just work together and not limit each other's um, ability to contribute to society. Thank you so much, uh, Noor Aini, for, um, for those inspiring thoughts and for joining us uh, today on She Talks Peace. You know, yes, I cannot help but um, compare Noor Aini to water, seemingly soft, seemingly without much substance. And men are macho, men are steel. But you put steel in water, and water will find a way to get through the cracks, to get into the the depth of the metal and change it. And I think the lesson for us today, for our listeners, and for me as well, is to persevere and like water, find a way to get through the cracks of the hard metal of men and perhaps be able to make them appreciate that God did actually mean for complementation between men and women, that our leadership and their leadership are not in conflict uh, with each other. So thank you so much, uh, Nuraini, for joining us today. Ayesa, your parting message. Well, as I said, Amina, um, I, I've been uh, motivated again. And then thank you so much, Nuraini. And so should we continue our discussion on how we can further support Noraini <laughs> in terms of go, social go, go. So thank you, dear listeners, for joining our conversation with Noraini Miswari uh, Lim today. And th- th- this is Amina Rasul saying goodbye. Uh, and join us again for our next episode on She Talks Peace. Bye! Bye, everybody! She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. 
Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.